Welcome to The Word at First Pres. During Lent, we are doing a sermon series called Parables of Jesus, where we examine various parables that Jesus taught during his ministry. The goal of this series is to examine the messages from these parables and how they are asking us to change internally through our spirituality and externally through our behaviors. I hope you enjoy. Our first scripture reading comes from Luke 14, verses 15 to 24. This is the parable of the great banquet. One of the dinner guests on hearing this said to him, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. And another said, I have just been married and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, sir, what you have ordered has been done and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading comes from John 13, various verses. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table took off his outer robe and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he tied around himself. After he had washed their feet, he had put on his robe and returned to the table. He said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. During the season of Lent, 
throughout the services of Holy Week, we are doing a sermon series entitled Parables of Jesus. A parable is a story that is told with an explicit purpose of illustrating a moral or spiritual lesson. The beauty of parables is that if they are told well, they convey deep truths to the hearer. Through Jesus' parables, we are able to learn more about Jesus' intentions for our lives by drawing on the lessons derived from his parables and to pose the question, how are these parables asking us to live differently, both internally or spiritually and externally through our actions? On Sunday, Alex spoke about the persistent widow and the unjust ruler. Today, on Maundy Thursday, we will be talking about the Last Supper and the parable of the great dinner. Now why, you may be saying to yourself, is TC preaching on Maundy Thursday, though? Is this some sort of April Fool's prank? Well, last year, when Judy was preaching the sermon for Maundy Thursday, I had a thought a thought that I hadn't had before, and it became a seed that grew in my mind, and when I told Alex about it a couple of weeks later, he said, well, why don't you preach next Maundy Thursday? And I said, well, whoa, let's not go too far now, but here we are, having gone too far. Afterwards, I told Ellen my thought, and she said, uh, yeah, duh. So if we reach the end of my sermon, and my point is something that you have heard or thought for many years, just know that you are in pleasant company, and I'm obviously just a little slower on the uptake. I've always loved Maundy Thursday. Growing up, my church did a large meal together, with elements of the Passover in it, but it wasn't a Passover Seder. We were a smaller church of 250 members on the books, but only about 30 to 40 would ever come to Maundy Thursday. We would put several long tables in a giant square and all sit on the outside so we could see one another. And then we would dine together. Randomly throughout the meal, people would get up and read or have memorized a little speech as if they were Mary or Judas or Peter. Most would read it, but if you were super dramatic, like my father was, or I guess is, you would have had it memorized. You would have had it memorized so that you could look deep into people's souls as you did your recitation. Obviously, this made the reading much more potent. This tradition made Maundy Thursday feel more like a family meal and less like a worship service, which for a middle school or high school youth, which I was, that was much more preferable. But now, having seen the other side of planning something like this, a meal that has more than four people, a large group gathering where food is involved, pouring your sweat and effort into a party, I can kind of relate to the host of this parable. He was obviously working hard to get a feast all set up, inviting a bunch of people to come, and then hearing baloney excuses, like, I have to go look at my land I just bought, or I gotta go try out my oxen, or I've just been married, so obviously the old ball and chain isn't letting me feast out like I used to. 
I would be enraged too. Putting all that effort into, say, a killer birthday party and none of my friends or friends who I invited show up, even though I was turning 32, which is my double sweet 16, and it was just me and the DJ slash magician slash party clown, DJ Cadabra. Anyway, obviously, this parable isn't about me throwing myself a 30-second birthday party. No, this parable is a metaphor for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' parable, it is God who is the host, inviting guests to the feast. These guests, historically, for Jesus and his listeners, would have been the Israelites. But throughout their relationship history, the Israelites would turn their back on God time and time again. Not listening to God's prophets, not obeying God's commands, essentially making up excuses as to why they couldn't come to God's party. And so, Jesus makes the claim here that God has thrown open the doors to the feast. For those in the streets and the lanes of the town, bring them in. Compel them to come in. Go get anyone and everyone. Jesus is saying that God's feast is now for everyone. God isn't just the God of Israel anymore. God is the God for all people. And before I go any further, I don't think that the details of this parable are by accident. Let's look at who's being invited later in this story, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. These were outcasts, seen as cursed or unclean, people that no one with any self-respect or desire to have a good feast would invite. They were pariahs, not to be associated with. Compare this with the excuses of those who were invited before, having to inspect land they bought or try out their five yoke of oxen, which is ten oxen. These are things that more well-off people would be doing. Jesus is making a comment on how society is thinking about God's table, that it mirrors human tables. Obviously, the higher class, the rich, the famous, the well-to-do would be invited to the table because they're the ones who are usually included in feasts that we already have. And let me, let me pull this thread for just a little bit longer. People who are wealthier, people who have more, often are the ones who do not appreciate things that are given to them, not because they are intrinsically worse people, but because they don't tend to need said things. For example, this very feast in the parable. If someone has enough money to buy ten oxen, then they are probably in a position to feed themselves and their family fairly comfortably and easily and regularly. So a dinner invite wouldn't mean as much to them as, say, to someone who is unable to provide a steady meal for themselves or their family. Like the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. I don't think that Jesus uses these analogies on a whim. And in fact, I think that Jesus is taking this metaphor even one layer deeper. 
Jesus knew that those who have means can start to feel like they don't actually need God anymore and thus don't need to live lives seeking God's kingdom. They may feel like they can provide anything and everything that they need, and so when God asks them to participate in God's kingdom, they make up excuses for why they can't. God's invitation to the table is also God's invitation to God's kingdom, to live as God would have us live. Those with comfortable lives that they'd rather keep are less inclined to start living the kingdom life because that involves some uncomfortable things. Giving up your own cushy, comfortable life to make sure that there is enough food in everyone's bowl. Make sure the clothes that you buy and the products that you use are made with fair labor and don't negatively impact the planet. Participating in actively seeking out injustice and rooting it out wherever it is found. These are just the tip of the kingdom iceberg, and yet even these are difficult for some. And yet, this is the table that we are invited to. This is the table that God asks us to sit at. Are we to make excuses? I can't come to that table because giving to those people means that they didn't earn it themselves. I can't come to that table because Jesus isn't political and thus he would have nothing to say on the subject. I can't come to that table because making the world more equitable means that I would have to give up some of the comforts that my birthright has afforded me. And just like that, our seat gets taken. Just like that, someone else is invited because God is constantly seeking people for the table. God is constantly seeking workers for the vineyard. God is constantly looking for lost sheep and lost coins. But don't mishear me, friends. It is not God who uninvited you. It is you who uninvited you. You, RSVP'd, no. If you can't sit at that table, at God's table, at the table of justice, of love, of accountability to one another, the table of togetherness across racial, ethnic, gender, sex, identity, ability lines, then your seat will be filled with someone who can. It is a big table, and your invitation is still good, but the table is the same table. Jesus reminds us that God is an inclusive God who invites all to the table the outcasts of human society, those who don't or can't work, who sit on the street and beg for their life because essentially at the end of the day, if you are begging for money, for food and water, then you are essentially begging for your own existence. And it is no accident that we are using this parable on Maundy Thursday, the day that we celebrate God's table the day that we partake in communion with one another, because it is through communion that we share this table with our brothers and sisters. It is through communion that we share a tradition beyond time, stretching forward into the future and back to the original meal where Jesus gathered with his friends, shared a meal, and encouraged them to do it often in his memory. And it is here where my nugget of a thought comes in. When I officiate funerals, there is a way of thinking that I tend to bring up. It is that as long as you share memories and stories of the loved one who passed away, as long as you consider the things that you have learned from them, 
the traits that you've inherited or absorbed from them, as long as you hold their memory with you, then a little bit of them lives on, in and through you. This is what communion is supposed to be. A story of Jesus, a memory shared and participated in, in which we literally take bread representing Jesus' body and wine or grape juice representing Jesus' blood, and we take it into our own bodies. A very real act, a physical act, representing a little bit of Jesus is alive in each of us. We do this in remembrance of Jesus, but it also should have a secondary effect. It should remind us that because we have a little Jesus alive in us, we should act like it. Communion is the reminder that within us is the power to be Jesus' hands and feet in the world, going and reaching and tending. It is a reminder that is up to us now. Jesus came and taught so that when he was gone, we could continue his work. When we sit at God's table, we partake of this meal. We aren't just getting sustenance. We aren't just eating with friends and family. We aren't just doing something because it's what we've always done. We are signing a contract. We are saying, yes, I will sit at the table of justice, love, and inclusion. Yes, I will work to make the kingdom on this earth. When we partake of the bread and the wine, we are saying, yes, I acknowledge the peace of Jesus within me, and I will allow it to guide my life. Friends, this table that we eat at is many things. It is an invitation to all. It is a meal that we share throughout history. It is a calling. It is a challenge. It is a reminder. But it is not something that we should take lightly. It is not something that we just go through the motions with. It is not a monthly moment to make us feel like we got our fix so that we can go back to our life unaffected. When we share communion in a moment, remember that when we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, we are saying that Jesus is in us, that Jesus' work is now our work, and our lives are to be led to point to the kingdom of God. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.